Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Hi. Good morning. Yes, I'm a woman, and my name is Janice. Uh, yeah. One of the pastors of the city, and so very delighted to be here. Uh, so w- one thing that's uh, really uh, uh, God impressed on my heart as we were worshiping, and don't you just love it when you know we're having worship and you know God just really uh, stirs something within our hearts? And, and I mean that ha- happens often, almost every time. But like this morning, God just really reminded me. We've been talking about you know uh, being non-anxious presence, right, in in a culture of fear and anxiety. Uh, and God just really reminded me, it, it's simple and yet so profound that I needed to be reminded that in order to be a non-anxious presence, we really need to look to God and, and just focus our gaze and, and worship Him, right? That like through the storm, through it all, right? He is good, right? And it is well. And so this morning, it's great to see you guys. Good morning again and have a break smile. I'm so excited because I can feel um, just the intensity of what God wants to bring across today. Uh, hopefully, uh, I am able to be a good conduit. Uh, but in any case, would you just tune in and, and you know, let's just look to the God together. I'll start off with a prayer. God, we just thank you that we can come as church. We can worship you together. We can look to you and we can turn our gaze, our entire being to you and say, Jesus, we love you. We enthrone you. This morning, not just here but not just in our midst, but in our hearts, in our lives, in our world. And so we pray that your word would come alive to us this morning. Would you speak and prompt us in obedience that is faithful and fruitful for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, if you were here uh, or tuning in last week, uh, we talked about unity, right? And I titled it Conspiring in Unity, right? I just want to appreciate, you know, just take a moment for some of you who, you know, volunteered and you, you stepped up during this time with extra measures that we're doing, whether it's downstairs or, or at level five and, and wiping down and, and checking in. Some of you stepped up and, you know, you volunteered to help. And so just want to appreciate, okay, for doing that and everyone who's serving. Good job. Yeah. Yes. Unity, right? So conspiring, why did I use that word? Uh, I would say maybe you should explain that word again. Uh, so, uh, I mean, obviously conspiracy, it just, it just comes from two root words, which means to breathe together. And so I, I thought it would be just a, a good kind of uh, use of the word conspiring. Uh, what are we conspiring for? It's, it's a holy conspiracy, right, in this, in this uh, case. And we are conspiring together. We're breathing together. And we're inhaling of the spirit together. We're... we're uh, having exchange in the spiritual uh, climate that we're in together, right? And so today I'm calling it conspiring towards maturity, okay? Just just carrying on, okay? So last week, quick, super quick recap, we looked at Ephesians 4, okay? And we looked at verses 1 to 6, and we covered uh, about five things on unity. Just real quick uh, flashback because we're going to then carry on to the rest of the passage today, okay? Are you ready? Okay, recap. So we looked at these five things about unity from Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. We talked about how unity precedes blessing. It proves the word of our calling, powers our prayer. And from there, you know, changes lives, 
more than just individually, it changes our lives together when we commune, when we hang out, when we uh, practice teachings together, right? And then from there, we can, cannot help but be propelled to you know, do kingdom work because it's just part of who we are, right? As we are changed, uh, we can't help but, hey, uh, go about God's business, right? His mission. So we looked at these things, and this morning we're continuing on to talk about unity because we did say that unity is not just an end in itself, but a means to maturity. So we're carrying on this passage and saying that the goal of that unity is towards maturity. So we're looking at Ephesians 4, verses 7 to 16, okay? Now, because it's up there on the screen, I'm going to ask that you read it with me. Can we do that? Uh, I didn't count, but 7 to 16, uh, it's not a lot, okay? So next slide. Can you see? Okay. Uh, some of us who are uh, a bit agey, you know, need bigger fonts. All right, so Ephesians 4, 7 to 11, uh, read with me wherever you are, and then later on you can refer to your, your own phone or, or physical Bible. Okay, but each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Next. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God through maturity. To the measure of the full stature of Christ, we must no longer be children tossed and broken and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way to him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly in love. Now from this passage, thanks for reading, we're going to look at just two main groups of thought. The first one is 7 to 11, is the grace gifts of Christ, right? And then 12 to 16, we're going to talk about the growth of the body of Christ, right? Just so that it's easier to remember. So we're going to look at 7 to 11, and I'll run through real quick. What, is, what does the passage tell us about the gifts, right? And the grace that Christ gives. So verses 7 to 11, if we look at, are we there? Yeah. So the first one, we look at this passage, it says each of us was given grace, right? And it talks about him ascending, Christ ascending, giving gifts, and then Christ who fills all things. This, this passage, Paul is actually re referencing Psalm 68, uh, um, very likely, right? And so he, because it's like the closest in resemblance to it, I'll show you Psalm 68, 18, and what it says there. You have ascended on high, you have led captivity captive, you have received gifts, among men, and so well, he doesn't fully quote the entire uh, text there, but it, this is the closest reference that uh, Paul was referencing, and it, it gives this picture of who is ascending, like a king who ascended on high, or one who has plundered, okay, uh, from battle and gotten 
booty from the battle, right? Or plunder the loot from the battle, uh, from the victory, and bring it back and distribute it among in their camp or with their, with their men, right? And, and so it's interesting, it's curious why Paul was quoting this, right? But I'm not going to go, we're not doing like Bible study, okay? I'm just showing you what I found when I was studying this text, and it, it seems to be referencing here. And then I saw John 3.13, where it talks about that Jesus, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So if we look back, right, at verse 9 and 10 in Ephesians 4, Here's where you've got to keep your finger in your physical Bible. We're constantly going to refer back to Ephesians 4. Uh, here in this verse, in verse 10, Ephesians 4.10 says, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, talking about Christ, that he might fill all things. So you get this sense that Christ, right, and there's no one like him, right? We're saying there's no one like you. Christ is the only one who has descended into the depths and ascended to heaven. So who can fill all things? Christ, right? We inhabit just this space, but Christ ascended into heaven, now seated at the right hand of God the Father. But before that, before he came into to dwell among men, he descended from heaven and a death burial, right? Christ descended into hell and then at his resurrection, then the ascension of Christ. What is the significance? I want to propose that I think Jesus' ascension is key to us receiving the gift and the promise of the Holy Spirit, right? And not only that, the significance is that Christ, it is important to recognize what it means when we say Christ fills all things. He fills all things in all of heaven and all of earth, right? That only Christ can do. Check out um, Acts 2, 31 to 33. This is on the day of Pentecost, right, when Peter uh, stood up and uh, preached this powerful message. And when he says in 31, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. Unless I go to the Father, you cannot receive the Holy Spirit, right? And so when the disciples waited in the upper room and the outpouring of the Spirit came on them, right? That is because Jesus ascended. And that is Christ who fills all things. So unless he ascends, right, we cannot be empowered in this way, right? And it gives such a good picture of what it means when we say Christ is head over all and he fills all things. He has dominion over every principality, every power, the name that is above every name. This is Christ who fills all things, right? Verse 10, it says that, and then it goes on to talk about, and he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some shepherds, and some teachers, right? So we get from 7 to 11, this passage, also this understanding that there are many gifts, and there are many members in this one body, right? Romans 12, 3 to 6a. Are you guys awake? 
this morning when I walked in, I must say the energy level was like, you know, you know. But after that, I could see, you know, it was getting uh, everyone waking up slowly. So I hope you're all basically awake right now. Romans 12, 3 to 6. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. We who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ, right? And this reminds me of this pastor who, you know, tried to preach from this uh, passage and took the analogy of the body of Christ further and talked about, you know, oh, you know, we're so thankful for uh, members of the body that play the, the function of the hands, you know. You do the practical work, you get things done. So thank you, you know, for being the hands. Those of you who, you know, function like the heart, you, you know, feel for people, you're so compassionate, and you extend mercy, you do the gift of mercy, so thank you for doing that. And, well, the appendix. <laughs> what can we say? We never knew we had you until you gave us so much trouble. <laughs> I thought it was so funny when this guy like, told this story. It's true. I always thought, the, what is it for, really? Those who know, come tell me. I don't, I don't really know. Uh, or the tonsil, right? We're better off without you. Um, <laughs> or like the false teeth. Okay, you're sometimes in, you're sometimes out. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. If you do have uh, false teeth, um, well, I have crowns. Mm. But anyway, false teeth is arguably not part of the body, right? Okay, so but all that to say, uh, really, there, there are many members, right? No, no, no part of the body uh, should be less honorable, right? Every part is important and vital. So erase what I said about the appendix. I'm sure, you know, there's some. But every part of the body is vital. And not only that, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7 shows us this. So it talks about diversities of gifts, and then verse 7 says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For the manifestation of the Spirit, meaning that on my own, I cannot be a manifestation of the Spirit of God. Right? It is collectively when we all function together as the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit is expressed, manifested, and experienced, yeah. right? In our midst and beyond our community. So as just a quick summary, I put down just five things. Just a recap, okay? What do we learn about the grace gifts of Christ, right, from this passage? It is given by Christ to each of us. Yes? Yeah. Is it some? Most? No. To every one of us, right? Second, it is made possible because Christ's ascension, right? Third, it's determined by grace. It's not a sign of merit. It's not a sign of our maturity. And sometimes uh, we subtly forget that, right? Being, uh, spirit, uh, having spiritual gifts or operating in gifts is not a sign of maturity. It's just that everyone has it, okay? And fourth, it's diverse in nature. And this means that, you know, even if you have similar gifts, but, you know, by virtue of how we're wired differently, different combination of gifts, different 
life experiences. It's very diverse, right? So we are many members of one body. Fifth, these are particular capacities for the profit of all, right? for the benefit of all, particular unique capacities, not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others, right? Loosely, I'll just define it. What I mean when I talk about the grace gifts from this passage is the ability or the working that comes to us freely for ministry to need to build up the Christian community or for the common good, right? So it's not just found within the church body, right? But it's also for the common good. Gordon Fee says this, to be saved in the Pauline view means to become part of the people of God. It's not just, hey, I'm saved, yay, you know, that's it. But it means to become part of the people of God. And sometimes we don't take care to emphasize this when someone comes uh, to Christ, right? Who by the Spirit are born into God's family and therefore joined to one another as one body. Whose gatherings, his us, our gatherings in the Spirit form us into God's temple, right? God is not simply saving diverse individuals and preparing them for heaven. Rather, he is creating a people for his name among whom he can dwell and who in their life together will reproduce God's life and character in all its unity and diversity, right? This is like, wow, this is like what we mean when we say manifestation of the spirit is we bring about this richness. Just think about like a symphony, right? You've got the strings, the percussion, and, and there is this richness of sound when they play tight together, yeah. right? And that symphony is not achievable in any way by a person or just a few. But when all collectively come and bring what they have, right? Working properly each part, you get this symphony, right? Uh, that's what we're about. So why, why are we talking about unity and maturity? So I'm going to just bridge a little bit from last week to this week, what unity towards maturity. How are we conspiring in unity towards maturity, okay? Again, this is just to like help sum up. It's not new stuff, okay? It's just uh, how I outlined on my notes, right? God desires unity. Unity is not to be by default. It is God's design that we are united and diverse, okay? And each of us have gifts. And unity is not uniformity. One spirit, but many gifts. For what? For the goal of the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Adulthood, right? A full grown. Without diverse gifts, the body of Christ cannot mature. The last one is really a rephrase of that, what I just read, okay? The church cannot mature. It, uh, without the diverse grace gifts. Um, and, and I thought it's, it's important to point out that it's not just we are not united uh, in spite of our differences. We are meant to and called to be united because of the different things we bring. And I know that's hard, right? In relationships, like just two or three persons is hard enough, right? When we talk about in the church, even though we're not mega, right? Even this size, lots of problems, okay? No? Yeah? What? What? <laughs> What's with that look? I mean, just take for example, I've heard of stories of how huge um, 
discussion about color of curtains, um, you know, what style our toilet should look like. No? You've not had this? Okay, that's good. Right. <laughs> uh, I've heard a discussion back home in a denomination in particular. Not, not mine, not mine. But a uh, long discussion on where to place the piano. Took meeting after meetings. It's hard, right? But why do orchestras practice? I think it's, you, you, you know that you can only sound really beautiful together, yeah. right? So it's hard, as the, the proverb goes, right? If you want to go fast, go alone, right? If you want to go far, go together. I'm not citing it verbatim, but you kind of get the picture. So how in the world can we be united and mature? Really, right? I read this article one time that kind of helped shed some light. So there is community, and then there is community. Okay, You're like what's the difference, right? Okay, so <laughs> let me say that again. <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> yeah, the way I say it, right? There's a emph different emphasis on different syllables. <laughs> There's community, and then there is community. Okay, what do I mean by that? So. Uh, the article was talking about how certain societies or communities, what they do is, um, so this particular community, I'll zoom in on it, uh, when the boys reach a certain age, they'll send them out and go through rites of passage. And, uh, and as, <laughs> says the army guy. Yeah, and as, I don't know, maybe. So they go through these rites of passage, you can, Try to disassociate NS in your mind right now, okay? Uh, but so you go through these rites of passage, and then the boys, uh, uh, from the process that they go through, um, it's a tough uh, set of challenges that they need to conquer. And then after that, they get re, uh, uh, like re they return into the larger community, but they're different, and then the dynamics among them is different, right? So think, I think when we talk about unity, it can be kind of like shallower, right? We're talking about, yeah, we're united. We, you know, we're all fine. Never mind the carpet color or anything. Lah. Yeah, okay. Lah. You know? uh, what we differ, we hang out together, we do life. And then uh, you go through hard times or undergo pressure, like when you make food, right? Comes out different, right? Changes the constitution, changes inside. It forges a stronger bond, right? And that's kind of what they went through. And uh, maybe we go through hard times like uh, war times or persecution or, you know, hard times like we ran out of toilet paper or uh, <laughs> oops. Um, maybe uh, famine, right? Or hard times when uh, someone dear is, is sick or whatever it is, we go through hard times. Uh, it forges a community uh, that is different from before, right? I'm not suggesting that we go and zao mafan, like, you know, look for persecution. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that that's why last week I, sh I talked about that scene from Lord of the Rings, is that sometimes I think we kind of um, don't recognize we are uh, in battle 
for the things of the kingdom. We are contending for the things of the kingdom. And uh, we kind of like, you know, chill a bit, relax a bit, but we don't realize open war is upon us whether we will risk it or not. And sometimes because we're, you know, comfortable right where we are, we don't realize that we are to go through this rite of passage sort of to forge this unity because God wants a maturity, a maturity from baby <laughs> to adulthood. God wants a maturity uh, to, to emerge. And that doesn't happen by just life as normal. But it goes through a passage, a narrow passage, if you will. It needs to undergo that pressure. And sometimes that pressure is existing. We're, not just, we're just not responding to it. Um, we're not aware. We think we're fine, like a frog in a pot, right? And, 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 and it reminds me, again, just because last week we talked about Lord of the Rings. This week we have to talk about Lord of the Rings again. And so this scene is from <laughs> the Fellowship of the Ring, right? And so they're sitting around, they're having this, uh, well, council meeting. So th this time I have the script here because this one, like, I wanted to bring out certain things from the scene. So maybe you remember the scene, maybe you don't, maybe you just don't watch this at all. But so they're here, Gandalf the wizard, and there are the other men, elves, dwarves, and then there's Lord Elrond, right? Lord of Rivendell. So he says, you know, strangers from distant lands. Middle Earth stands upon the brink of destruction. You will unite or you will fall. Okay. Then Frodo puts the ring in the middle and then Lord Aaron says, the ring must be destroyed, but cannot just be destroyed anyhow, right? Gimli tries to uh, exit. But it has to be destroyed where it was made, right? Where the darkest darkness is. Sauron, right? And back into the fiery chasm from whence it came. And then there's like disagreements starting. Uh, and Gimli who has a love-hate relationship with Legolas, So I will be dead before I see the ring in the hands of an elf. Never trust an elf, right? Yeah. Then Frodo just sits down, he watches, and then Gandalf says, do you not understand that while we bicker among ourselves, Sauron's power grows, right? The intensity of the arguments increase. And then after a while, Frodo says, I will take it. Nobody hears, because they're arguing, right? They have to say again, I will take it. Then, like, you know, these guys turn around, like, who's this? You know, like, oh, it's Frodo, right? Gandalf goes, like, he knows the, you know, the difficulty that is ahead of him. Then the argument dies down, right? Then Frodo says, I will take the ring to Mordor, although I do not know the way. Then Gandalf says, I will help you bear this burden, Frodo, as long as it is yours to bear. And then Aragorn, as usual in his kingly manner, he says, if by my life or death I can protect you, I will. And then he kneels down and says, you have my sword, right? Uh, and then Legolas goes, and my bow. And then Gimli must join in, right? And my axe, okay? <laughs> so, yeah, obviously I had to watch it again to remember. But I remember the scene because it was this moment, like sometimes you watch movies, you're like, wow, oh, yes, you know, they're bending together. But who knows that throughout from this scene, how their fellowship was tested. Yeah, um, that's when they really prove whether they are together or not, right? And sometimes they had to split paths, take different roles, or deal with different things, but they were learning to get to a common goal. And I love the scene about Lord of the Rings, right? And that's kind of how I picture sometimes when we don't go through difficult challenges, our unity is not tested, and we cannot mature. 
our unity is shallow, it is um, not, not even adolescent sometimes, right? Uh, but like what we want to go to is a full measure of the stature of Christ. So we're looking at, we've talked about 7 to 11. Let's move on to talk about verses 12 to 16. Yeah. You guys there? Yep. Verses 12 to 16, I'm highlighting, because I know y'all can read the like full verses yourself, but I'm highlighting just some words here. Equip the saints, building up, right? And so that we come to unity and to maturity, right? No longer like children. And in verse 16, of verse 15 says, speaking the truth in love, we grow up, right? From whom the whole body, every ligament with which it is equipped, we build each other up in love. Verses 12 and 16. I'll just point your attention to this. Um, the next slide. In these two verses, right, verse 12 and verse 16, the King James Version talks about the perfecting of the saints for the edifying of the body of Christ. And uh, NRSV goes, equip the saints, right? Not perfecting. Amplified Version decided not to have to choose, so they just you know, did both. <laughs> but I thought just, just to like, you know, learn a little bit about these words is that so equipping, I'm not sure how many of you have uh, like read or, or studied this, but it means a lot more than we think. It's not just like, I give you a tool, or I give you some tools, okay? Equipping, in the original word, it can mean surgery for a broken limb, uh, or restoring a dislocated joint, okay? It can mean mending of nets. So like in Mark 1, when the guys were mending their fishing nets that was torn or ripped, uh, it means that, okay, mending the net. Galatians 6.1, when we restore a fallen brother, it's also this word, equip. Uh, so to restore something to its original condition, perfecting. Not in the perfect, like we think like, wow, flawless kind of sense, but perfecting to restore something to its original design, right? That which God intended. So verse 12 uh, shows us that. And then in these two verses, you see this word edifying, building up. And in verse 16, the bottom also edifying, building up in two different versions. Just to show you like the, the difference in words, it's building up, right? It's not just, uh, you know, it, there, there's more to it. So there's a sense of like a structure, building up. You are layering, right? Architecture. There is, a, like, so in Matthew 7, when the wise man builds his house on a rock, it's using this word, build up. So it also means edify, which is what the word edifice in English comes from, uh, uh, an important building or structure, right? Edify, we are adding strength, buttressing. Right or like we are fortifying, we are building up, edifying. So in Chinese, right? One one time I learned is that the Chinese translation does it very well. Jian zhao, right? Uh, sorry for those who jian huh? like build zhao like shape, right? It 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 gives that richer meaning. So building up, equipping, and training, perfecting all these in these two verses. Verse thirteen. Verse 13, um, yeah. Verse 13, where it says, until we all come to maturity, right, to the measure of the full stature of Christ, we are reminded that maturity comes from constant training, as is in the verse in Hebrews, Hebrews 5, that says solid food is for the mature, and, and by constant practice have taught 
have trained themselves to be sin, right? It means a constant practice. Whatever that our part is in the body, we need training. I think that's just what I'm trying to draw out. Uh, it's not just like, you know, we have gifts and we naturally... And some of us, we're still kind of really figuring out how or what our part really is in terms of contributing in the body. And I'll just, right, if you are not entirely sure, just start anywhere. Anywhere. Right, it can be just anything. And as you discover and as you serve, you're having this exchange and you're building up others and others building you up. Hey, you know, what's, what's not good about that? Right, and so we, we learn to serve together because then we become mature. And, and you know, some of us, myself included, we've gone through church life for many years. And some of us, maybe not now, hopefully, but now it's you know understandable too. We have baggages, we have things that we you know uh, were disillusioned or are disillusioned in terms of church. Am I speaking the same human beings? Yeah. <laughs> and I know though, like when we talk about this, there are so many things that I'm not able to address and cover. We're talking about like you know leadership issues and our differences and things like that. But I'm just approaching this, and I'm going to close on what I feel like God is really wanting to bring home today, is that uh, we are just needing to be reminded that God is looking for a people who are intentional to stick it in there and mature. And that takes commitment, and that takes sometimes just sticking through even when we don't really agree or we have conflicts. We learn to resolve them. They're not perfect. We are not perfect. And so sometimes I say to people, if you are looking around for a church community and you know you find a perfect one, don't join it. <laughs> yeah. One, because it can't be true. Second, you join that, it's not perfect anymore. <laughs> right? <laughs> Unless you really think you are, then oh, you've got you're the problem right there. Okay. <laughs> but sometimes I think it's good to be guarded and to be watchful of doctrine and stuff like that. But we can sometimes err on the side of caution so much that we become more critical than loving, you know, disengaged than participating. And there's a huge difference, and it really makes a difference how we then contribute to the body of Christ, right? And so whatever part it is we play, our role is how are we maturing together to build up, not tear down. And so sometimes this is our experience. I'll show this table that I adapted from somewhere. I changed some of the words, so I made sure that I put that adapted. Yeah, uh, adapted from City Collective. Uh, what most of us experience is immaturity, for example. But what Christ intends is maturity, right? What we mostly experience is stuntedness or you know, individualism, for example. But what God intends is for us to grow up out of our immaturity to adulthood. And that means some growing pains, doesn't it? For you and for others. And that's why I speak the truth in love. And we experience maybe dislocation, okay, where every part should be working properly. 
we experience stagnation, atrophy, when we don't exercise our muscle, when we really should be promoting growth. This is what Christ intends for his people. Bonhoeffer says, can I, s I'm jumping around everywhere on the slides. Uh, Bonhoeffer says this quote, uh, if you can find it. <laughs> the temple of God is the holy people in Jesus Christ. The body of Christ is the living temple of God and of the new humanity. Right? What does it mean as we grow up in Christ, as we mature, we no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, right? from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So growth of the body of Christ is really, just a quick, again, summary is, that it's all of us to be trained. And sometimes, not that I'm pinpointing anybody, I'm not, not really, I just felt like yeah, it's, it's good to be reminded that sometimes we kind of like approach serving and all that, um, uh, like, oh, you know, mm, I'll, I'll serve, but not seeing it as this is training for me. And I want to suggest that, you know, to be just reminding us we are being trained, myself included, right? We are being trained for the work of ministry. Why? Because that is the intention of Christ. We are not doing Jesus a favor, but we are being trained to maturity together. If you have a desire for spiritual maturity, how is that achievable unless we grow, unless we serve, unless we give, unless we are wounded and learn to overcome it, unless we are offended and then learn, God, you know, help me understand this person. How are we to mature? Think of family relationships, marriages, how to mature. It is when we move from community to, here I do it again, community, okay? <laughs> so one, one, from now on, anything you want to emphasize, you just basically say it with like two-faced, right? <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> but that's God's call for the church, to be the body and the sense of this building, look at this text, is not just talking about body that is lambic, okay, but it's soft, right? It's talking about a building, a structure. It's talking about when Jesus says, my, I will build my church upon this rock, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Right? We are talking about a sense of church, not just in the task and the function we need to do as a body. We're also talking about identity because we are also the bride of Christ. We are talking about we serve and love each other. We are being completely humble and gentle with each other. We are building each other up in love because that is who we are in Jesus because we share in his nature. We participate in the divine nature of Christ. We pray one Father. We are together rubbing shoulders. We are working together towards maturity because it is our identity. It is who we are. Otherwise, we are stunted, right? Because we are the bride of Christ. And God wants a bride who is without blemish, right? 
and that takes preparation for, for, for a wedding, right? It takes preparation for the bridegroom without stain, without wrinkle, without blemish, radiant for the bridegroom. That is who we are. And God calls us today to mature, to be united towards maturity because that is who we are meant to be. Chip Ingram says this. I found this. I was like, wow, Chip. You know Chip? <laughs> but this quote really blew my mind, like just so short and, and, and profound. God delights to do impossible things through improbable people to impart exceeding grace to undeserving recipients. How many negative words are there? But it's so good, such a good quote. God delights to do impossible things through improbable people, which is us, guys. We are improbable people and who have received exceeding grace. Us, so that we can impart that to undeserving recipients, right? That's us also, to each other, right? Wow, this person's so impossible. <sighs> impossible things through improbable people to impart exceeding grace to undeserving recipients. Okay, I love you, right? And there are times when it calls for that. There are times when it calls for speaking truth uh, uh, to admonish. To It's painful. It's potentially uh, a hurting, but when it is done with love. And we correct each other. Not to be afraid to offend because that's, True love, right? To, to speak the truth in love. To learn to grow together and not to be perfect together, but to train together and to mature together. And different ones of us bring out different aspects of us. Did you know that? If I hang out with you and I hang out with you, you just, you know, it brings out like this different chemistry. And that's the beauty of church. So I want to end because I want to give us time to respond. Um, as ironic as it sounds, I really don't want to like talk too much. But I may talk one. But so I was asking God, right? How do you want us to kind of end on this, right? Unity, maturity. It can sound a bit like, yeah, okay, that's a good idea. Like, yeah, well done. Okay, good, good, good to hear it. Uh, but then I was like prompted by God to look up this something. Okay, so I did. So be completely uh, bearing with me in love as I'm going to do this with fear and trembling. Uh, no, I'm not rapping. But <laughs> because, uh, but, but, okay, look somewhere else, just don't look at me, okay? But I'm going to, I found this spoken word, right? And I'm a huge fan of spoken word. Um, so there's this guy that I really like his course. I'm going to give credit to him. David Bowden. Uh, and he does some incredible spoken word. And what he wrote about the church really impacted my life, right? So I just want to share it with you, okay? Because I've prayed about this and, you know, Matt's been encouraging. and Okay, but listen to the words, okay? I beg you, okay? Listen to the words and don't laugh, okay? okay. Oh, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Okay. Don't laugh. Okay, do it because Jesus loves his church and I do too, okay? So, yeah, this is the story of how God Almighty went on an eternal search, okay? 
that was born of love and cost his blood, the story of his holy church. We were at first disembodied. Our limbs and bodies were active practitioners of misanthropy. We were fingers without hands, wrists with no arms, shoulders with no chest, parts without form, heels with no foot, knees with no leg, toes with no step, appendages with no head. We were lost and stranded wanderers, doomed to die alone. But that was before God graciously left his throne. For eons ago, in the space and time where only eternity grows, the only truly unified body existed in divinity, and it is forever known as the Trinity. Now this celestial anatomy, this Father, Son, and Spirit assembly, this family of one yet panoply of many, is and was and will forever be the only hope for humanity, for it is and was and will forever be the only true embodiment of unity. So the perfect body, the perfection expression of the one of three took up flesh and took on a mortal life and he is and was and will forever be known as Christ. But for many, something didn't seem right. For if this son, this God, this king, this savior was the hope of the world, why is he dying on that tree? And if he was to renew our bodies, why is his being torn apart? If he was to give us eternal life, why is his ending among thieves and guards? But these questions were asked by those who only see wounds as scars. For as he was torn, we were mended. As he was ashamed and afflicted, we were perfected. As he was ripped, we were sown. As he was opened, we were closed. And though the one true body is back on his throne, you may know that the one true body lives on here below. For his body did rise, yet in leaving it did not die, but lives on in the church, the unified body of Christ. But it wasn't just for a body that God sent his son to die. It was for an eternal companion. It was for a bride. As it is written, it is for this reason that man should leave his father and hold fast to his wife. So the son left the father so that the two may become one flesh, may become one life. And though there is but one husband, we are of much Flesh, right? Red and yellow, black and white, Pentecost, Lutheran, Church of Christ. Yet no matter what color or affiliation of one of 10,000 racial, economical, denominational stripes, when we became Christians, we left our fathers for the husband and we all formed the bride of Christ. For we were 10,000 weak, 10,000 undone, but now the church is becoming the bride, and 10,000 with Christ shall be made one. But God's goodness was not then done, his plan not yet complete. For he wanted to live with his new bride, so he made his wife a building. Now we are living stones, breathing bricks, laughing lumber, Surviving sticks, built bit by bit, inch by inch, together with every Christian the groom admits. Together we knit, 
one on top of the other as we submit around the pillars of the apostles and the prophets, all coming to sit on the one foundation of Christ, the structure's magnet. We are the church. The only building no force in heaven on earth could purge. The ark that holds the eternal God, the temple that trembles where his spirits surge. So I urge you, you body, you bride, you building, you church, not abandon, profane, or neglect God's church, his perfect work. Fight boldly for the body, love deeply the bride, live holy in the building, for I tell you, we are for what Christ has died. We are the assembly of the saints, the congregation of the upright. We are where heaven inhabits. We are the fold of Christ. We are the branch of God's planting, the meeting of the firstborn. We are heaven and earth's family. We are the heritage of the Lord. We are the chosen people. We are the holy nation. We are the royal priesthood, God's great reclamation. We are the temple. We are the city. We are the vineyard, the sanctuary. We are the body. We are the bride. We are the building. We are the church. We are the construction of eternity's eternal holy work. So we will never dismember the flesh, never divorce the wife. We will never dismantle the house. We will never dismiss the price, but we will lay everything down for our everlasting tribe. For we are the church, the people of Christ. I love this piece. Yeah. Some of us may recall that there are moments when we want to give up on church. I'm not sure how many that is, but I have been one of them. And, well, I'm glad that, you know, God has just shown me his love for his church over and over again. The first time that I said, I'm done, like yeah, I'm not going to church anymore. And then very soon after that, that's when God called me to ministry. So <laughs> <laughs> just saying, yeah. <laughs> but then, of course, there's another occasion after that. And perhaps you're not at that point, right? But I felt it necessary to just remind us this morning. We are a chosen people. We are not just servants of the house. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, you and I. And if we recognize that, how would we serve the body differently? Would you stand and, and, and you know, um, be the way we are in your father's house? if you understand who you are. And God calls us today to remember we are his church. And out of that identity, we mature. When Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Can I ask that we stand and just respond to God as I kind of close with this? I know that there are so many of you, if not all of you here, that you know you love the church. I know. And so in no way am you know what I'm saying here 
is to suggest in any form that there is no love for God's church here. No. But I guess I just invite you, because even as I prepared for this, I just really felt, you know, God's passion for his church, his people. And he's inviting us to share in this passion for his body. And so wherever you are, you know, would you just look to him, our bright room together. We are his church. We are his body. We are his building. We are his bride. And so God, this morning, speak to us so that we would be united and mature together. Recall, bring to mind that there are people in your body that are dishonored. Remind us that there are times when we may be so uh, busy with our own lives, we forget that there is a, a fellow brother or sister that needs a shoulder to cry on or encouragement or just a note from us. Because, Lord, sometimes our, we're not fixing our gaze on you, our bridegroom, to see the passion in your eyes for our church, for the church, for your bride, and for the world. And so this morning, God, we look away and we turn our eyes on you. We trust you. We enthrone you in our midst. And we say that Jesus, 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 we love you as your church, your body. We love you, God. We love you above all things. And we love you out of our diversity, out of the hurts, out of the good things we enjoy or out of the difficulties. We are your church and we desire you. God, we desire you with a passion that burns just like you burn for your church. And God, this morning we look to you. In what way might God be just challenging you this morning? When, it, when, you, know, when you talk about the church, maybe for some of you, God is challenging you to offer something to his body. Or maybe for some of you, it's what you've been offering. God's just saying like, hey, remember, remember love. Remember who you are. And that together we lift up this voice and we say, Jesus, you are enthroned. We grow into you, you who are our head. And we say, Lord, teach us to mature. Teach us, God, to grow up into your bride that is without blemish, without stain. All across the earth, in every people group, God, may your body arise mature and lovely and radiant for you and for your kingdom work here on earth. We enthrone you. So I just want to invite you, no long response, sing with the worship team.